going to be looking today at um, that passage that I just read to the kids. So if you want to turn with me um, to Matthew chapter 16. And Elsie's going to go, what? I thought we were doing Mark. It's in all of them. What it is is Matthew chapter 16, Mark chapter 8, and then Luke chapter, I don't remember what it was, 12 or something like that. All tell the same story, but Matthew fleshed it out more. He gave us more detail. And so um, I wanted to go ahead and, and read it to us. We're looking at Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to be reading just from... Um, for now, just verses 13 through um, 20. Now, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, whenever Jesus uses the phrase Son of Man, he's talking about himself. So, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. And Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Messiah. Interesting story. To understand what's going on, we need to break it. We need to flesh some of this out because when these books were written initially, um, the people had a lot more familiarity with what was being talked about. We don't because we are so far removed. We're 2,000 years removed. We don't understand these places that are named or the, these uh, uh, different things that they say. One of the things that, that we don't have any form of reference to is that in verse 13 where it says, Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi. Does anybody know what that means? What is Caesarea Philippi? Anybody? I'm sorry? The, the Romans are in charge. It's a city. Okay, let's, let's back it up. Well, what it is, you're, you're very, very right. What it is is when Jesus was born, remember there was Herod the Great, and he was the one that was really scared to death of losing his kingdom. And so when the wise men came, he said, let me know where the baby was born so that I can go worship him too. And he really wanted to kill the baby because he, was, he didn't want any competition. Well, Herod the Great, when he died, they divided all of his kingdom up into three groups, three separate things. And there were three tetrarchs who were over one each of the different areas. One was Herod uh, uh, Antipas, who was in the southern area, in the, Jordan, uh, the Judah area. Then there was 
Herod um, Philip. Oh, I can't think of his name now. Anyway, <laughs> it's right down the tip of my tongue. Anyway, but the guy who was over the northern part. Okay, the guy that was over the northern part, and I can't speak it right now. It's it's like right there, but it won't come out. He built this city, and he um, he named it in honor of the the reigning Herod, Tiberius Caesar. And this city was at the base of what's called Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon is one of the few places in that area of the world that has snow on it all year long. Mount Hermon is 9,000 feet tall. So, when we read, if you go earlier in the, in the storyline, um, or maybe it's later in the storyline, hold on. It's later in the storyline. Jesus goes up on the mountain with Peter and John and is transfigured before them and glows in the white men. Elijah and Moses appear with him. That's scholars believe, was on Mount Hermon. So they would have gone up where it was cold and snowy. And it would have been a remote area. But before that happens, Jesus has brought his disciples to this area at the base of the mountain. Now, where is this located? <coughs> well, if your Bible has a map, there was no way I could put the map on your screen because it's just not big enough. But if your Bible has a map, if you'll open it up to the map and you look at the bottom of your map of, the, of, of Israel, you'll see the Dead Sea. And if you look north of the Dead Sea, you'll see the line that's the Jordan River. And the Jordan River goes north and it goes to the Sea of Galilee. Or the Sea of Tiberias. But it should be in your Bible. It should say Galilee. Sea of Galilee. Then we'll see a line going north from the Galilee up to Caesarea Philippi. And that's the base of Mount Hermon. And what it is, is there's a spring that comes out of the ground that is the headwaters of the Jordan River. Now, today... In 2024, that spring is not located, it doesn't come out of the ground in the same place that it did when Jesus was walking on the earth. The reason for that is, after Jesus' death and resurrection, many, many years later, there was an earthquake. And it realigned the rocks underneath Mount Hermon, and it rerouted the water. Okay? So the spring still flows even to this day, and it still it becomes the tributary, which becomes the, it's the headwaters of the Jordan River. But it doesn't flow like it used to when Jesus was on the earth. For many, 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 probably centuries prior to Christ's time, this Water flowed out of what was what is called a grotto. Have you heard the term grotto before? A grotto is simply a cave or a little cavern, and the, this this spring literally flowed up out of this grotto at the base of Mount Hermon, and then became the headwaters of the of the Jordan River, where this grotto was became 
a worship place, not for God, but for every other false god. Specifically, it became a worship place for the god Pan. That's why it became known as <clears throat> Panius. Today, that area is called Banius. And it's basically, it all goes back to this time of worship of Pan. Now, not to be gross, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted the kids out of here. What they used to do when they would worship Pan, this water that flowed up out of the grotto at the base of Mount Hermon at the temple of Pan was bottomless. They couldn't reach the bottom because, it, I mean, I, I, if they had scuba gear back then, they could have, but they can't. They couldn't. So as far as they were concerned, it went down to basically eternity. It went down to the place of the dead. It went down to hell. It was the gate of hell. That's why it says right here in the, in the Bible, where is it at? Verse 18, Peter, on this rock I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's talking about where they're at right now. This place where Pan was worshipped, they would, <coughs> they would take a goat and they would slice its throat and drain its blood and then they would put it into the water. And if it sunk down into the water, then they believed that the god Pan received their offering. But when they placed that goat in the water, if it didn't sink, if it floated, which could happen at times because the flow of water coming out of this rock would keep the goat from floating, they would perceive that the God did not accept their offering. He wanted something more. So they would then bring a child. And they would sacrifice a child and put it into... This was a very evil place. Today, you can still go to this grotto, this place where Pan was worshipped, and you can see it said... If you, if you do any reading about it at all, the temple that was built there for Pan, it was a big complex. There were multiple buildings. There were different places where you could do the worship. And they literally had cut these little grottos into the side of the mountain. And it said it went as high as five stories. So it was upwards of 50 feet high. And there would be all of these statues, and they would make offerings, and then they'd do some animal sacrifices there. People would come from all over to worship here, because this was a central place. This was Caesarea Philippi. This was a place uh, that, the, that the king designated as his command post, if you will. It was a city. And so Jesus brought his disciples, and it's, a, it's located about 25 miles or so from the village of Capernaum, which is where Jesus' headquarters was, just on, the, just on the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee. That's where Jesus' headquarters was. That's where Simon and John and Andrew and, and James all grew up and lived and had their home. Um, 
And so Jesus took his disciples up to the base of Mount Hermon, about 25 miles, and he brought them to this God of Pan temple, which again, if you look online, you will see some really cool artist drawings of what they believe that place looked like, because you can still see some of the, the foundations. Um, the, the archaeologists have dug it out enough that they can still see some of the foundations. And so, um, he, it would have been a bit, it would have been a beautiful place, it would have been a sight to see, um, but it was evil. It was nasty. It was dark. It was just horrible. And Jesus brings his disciples here for a very specific purpose. So now knowing that background, let's go back and look at chapter 16 of Matthew, verses 13 and following. Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, which we now understand more about it, and he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they start talking. Somebody says, well, somebody said, some say John the Baptist. How could it be John the Baptist? John the Baptist was alive, wasn't he? And he was Jesus' cousin. But, if, at, but at this point, it should, it, we should know that John was killed because um, Herod's daughter danced for him and pleased him so that he made a promise in front of all of his friends, up to half of my kingdom I'll give you. You did such a great job and you pleased me so much. What do you want? And she was like, I don't know what I want. So she goes and talks to her mother and her mother tells her she wants to have John the Baptist killed. And so she goes to the king and she says, I want John the Baptist to be killed. So John the Baptist has been killed at this point. So Jesus' disciples say, well, what do people say that I am? What are you hearing from the community? And they say, well, some people say, think you're Jesus, John the Baptist, if you will, reincarnated. Others say Elijah. Because what that's talking about is there's a tradition in the Jewish culture that Elijah is going to return before the Messiah. Then others say that Maybe you're Jeremiah, one or one of the other prophets that has come to back to tell us about God. So Jesus let them talk about what they what they were hearing, and then he asked them the key question. He said, "What do you think? Who do you think that I am?" And just sits there and waits. And then Peter kind of the leader of the group, replies, well, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. But he says something even further. You are the son of the living God. This is the only time in all of the Bible that Jesus is identified as the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, doesn't, the rest of the Bible does mention this, but specifically, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the reason we're reading it out of Matthew, not Luke or John, because there's so much more here. And Jesus' response to him is, 
Good job, Simon. You reasoned it out. You figured it out. That's not what he said to him. He said, You are blessed. Because this was not something that a human being could get. This is only because my Father who is in heaven has revealed it to you. So as a result, Simon, you are blessed. And then he says this really interesting story, interesting thing. He says, and I tell you, from this point on, you're no longer going to be known as Simon. You're going to be known as Peter. Now, scholars are, uh, there are some scholars who say Jesus didn't speak Greek in this scenario. They said he, should have spo- he would have spoken in Aramaic, which was a, uh, a, the common language of the people of Israel at the time. Had he spoken Greek, they're saying that there's a distinction between Peter, Petros, and this rock, Petra, and I'm going to build my, my church on this rock, Petra. But if he was speaking in Aramaic, he would have said Kepha both times. So there would have been no distinction. The reason I bring that up is what I believe Jesus was saying was not, I'm going to build my church on you, Peter. I think what Jesus was saying is, I am going to build my church on this very fact that only those that my Father reveals the truth to can, can be part of the church. See, it's this whole idea that God the Father draws, God the Father rules, God the Father reveals to us, and then we have to receive it by faith. It's not something that we can reason out for ourselves. It's not something that we can logically come to a conclusion. This is a matter of faith. And it is because God the Father reveals it to us, and we own it by faith, that we enter into the kingdom. Now, I don't want to keep going on this story because, I mean, I, we could spend an hour just talking about just this, but there's more to this story in, the, in, the, in, the, in this chapter. Um, after they leave this area, it says Jesus begins at that time to show his disciples, verse 21, that he's going to have to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and be, ultimately be killed and then on the third day be raised. So Jesus is already starting to put that thought into his disciples' minds that this is, we are reaching the end point of my time on this earth and I am going to die, but God's going to raise me up. And Peter, this guy who has been just been called the rock, Peter takes him aside and says, forget that. Far be it from you, Lord. This is never going to happen to you. No, that's not possible. No, God has a plan. No, don't be talking like that. And Jesus literally says the exact same words to Peter that he said to the deceiver when Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted after his baptism. Get the behind me Satan. You are a hindrance to me. You are not setting your mind on the things of God. You are setting your mind on the things 
of man. Now, think about this. We don't know how long a time happened between the time of being at the gates of hell with the Pan Temple and Jesus asking, Who am I? Who do you say that I am? Blessed are you because God has revealed this and you've owned it for yourself by faith to this point where Jesus is now chewing on the very person who he was commending and blessing. But we don't know if it's a day, if it's a week, if it's a month. We don't know how long a period of time. But something hasn't clicked right, if you will, in Peter. Because he is still focused on what he wants. Still focused on what he expects the plan to be. He is still expecting the Messiah to do something now, today, that I'm going to be part of. He said he was going to build the church using me. So how can he be talking about dying? That's not part of the plan. And Jesus looks right at him and he says, Enough. Enough. You are hindering the work of God with your attitude and with your heart. Trying to fight against what you think is being said. I mean, excuse me, you fight against what's being said by what you think should be said. I always find this hard. Because I told the kids, I, I've aligned myself with Peter. Of all the Bible characters, I, I find myself aligning mostly with Peter. I mean, honestly, when I was a kid, I was allowed to, I mean, I, when I was being brought up, I was in a church that, that you took what was called a confirmation name. And had I been confirmed, my name would have been Peter. So my name would have been Robert Francis Peter Sugden Jr. But I never got confirmed, so I never got the privilege of doing that. But when I was in eighth grade, my Spanish teacher let us do whatever name we wanted. And so I said, my name will be Pedro. And she's like, okay. So the very first day, she's in, we're in class, and I'm writing, and she says, Pedro. 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 Roberto. Huh, what? And she went... Your name is Roberto. Because <laughs> I wasn't answering to Peter, so I missed it. But, but I always align myself. I always feel uh, just, just a kinship with Peter. And what I see here hurts my heart. Because here this man who is told that he's blessed and that God has revealed these deep spiritual things to him. And that God is going to build the church with that kind of faith. He's the one that is now being declared a hindrance and a Satan. And it really hurts my heart. But Jesus doesn't leave it there. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if you were Peter? How would he feel that night when he laid his head on his pillow? I would think that there would be tears streaming down the sides of his face as he reflected on all of that and the pain. Not that he felt rejected by Christ. I mean, probably that was part of it, but God, I love you. Why, why would you think that I would want to destroy your work? I love you, God. I want to serve you. Why would you call me a Satan? And he had to do a lot of soul searching. 
Because Jesus said, you are not setting your mind on the things of God. But God, I've given up everything for you. This doesn't make sense. But go further on to this chapter. And I find it interesting. I'm assuming, (coughs) from everything we know, that these all took place around this same time frame and in this line line of order. I don't know for sure that it does, but in verse 24, Matthew has it recorded that Jesus tells his disciples, if anyone wants to follow me, they have to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits its soul? What shall a man give in return for his soul? What is this deny myself, take up the cross, and follow me. I can only tell you my story. I don't know what yours is. Unless, of course, you share it with me. When I was in third grade, we were living in Maryland. Yeah, I was in Maryland. Wheaton, Maryland. And our school the third grade class was doing a play called Sourdough Charlie. And it was about Alaska. And I was one of the sourdoughs, and I had to cut out a a construction paper beard. And I don't remember what the story is about, but it was a play about living in Alaska, and somebody wanted to become a sourdough, and I don't remember all of it. But... From that point on, from third grade on, something got planted in my heart that I wanted to be involved with theater. I enjoyed memorizing lines and learning the blocking and being people applauding for the work that I did. I I enjoyed that. And so, literally, from that point on, any time there was opportunity for me to be involved with theater, that's what I did. And honestly, by the time I was in high school in Southern California, I had friends that were getting agents. They, I mean, putting together their photo portfolios and going out and trying and auditioning. I, I knew, well, I didn't know them personally. My brother Chris knew these kids. But there was a pair of twins that actually part of a Burger King commercial. You probably, if you're old enough, you'll remember it. This little kid comes up, two little kids, twins, come up to the counter and go, I like a burger. I like a burger too. Do you remember that? Okay, never mind. Um, also, I met a woman. I, I worked at a, at a Bob's Big Boy restaurant, and one of the waitresses used to be, was, was an aspiring actress as well. And if you remember the McDonald's commercial, where the entire town comes out into the street, walking, marching down to the McDonald's, everyone, they come out of the barbershop, the bride and the groom are standing at the top of the stairs of the church, they come down into the street, and do you, do you remember that commercial at all? Well, this woman that I worked with was the bride in that commercial. And every time that commercial showed on TV, she got money. It's called residuals. And that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a professional entertainer. That's what I wanted to do. And then I met Jesus. And he said no. 
but I wanted to do it. And he said no. And I had a choice to make. Do I do what I want? Or do I do what Jesus wants? And I'll tell you, there's still times... I have a dear friend, his name is Jerry. Known him since high school. When all the rest of us were going to be actors and get our, our, um, our, our, our agents and our portfolios and go out and do auditionings, Jerry was the guy running lights in the back and pulling the curtain and doing the sound at the, in, in all the plays that we did. And Jerry said when he got out of high school, he was going to get a job at NBC to be a page. And he was going to work his way up through the industry and become uh, somebody in the, in the, the, the industry, but it would be in the, back, in the background. Of all the people, now we're almost 50 years now, later, right? It's almost been 50 years since I was in high school. Of all of us that were in high school drama, the only one who actually did what he set out to do was my friend Jerry. And Jerry has, count them, five Emmy Awards for his work as the music editor for Star Trek Next Generation, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and Star Trek Voyager. He's the guy that made all the music happen in the background as you watch the shows. So, Jerry, my dear friend, I've known him forever, and he's been at every wedding and at every funeral, and he's been part of our lives forever. He made, he did it. And I look at um, him, and I think, that could have been me. But the one thing that, that, and I don't want to in any way hurt him, so hopefully he'll never hear this. Um, his life has not turned out the way he wanted it. He's got all the fame. He's got the trophies. He's got all the accomplishments. But he doesn't have a settled peace in his heart. And when we do get together, he and I talk very deep. He's never yet made a commitment to Christ. Hopefully he will, but he hasn't yet. But every time we get together, he looks at me and he says, Oh, Bob, you've got it all. I live in Two Rivers, Alaska. <laughs> I don't have it all. But I do. I have a relationship that's vital with the Lord God. And the Lord God speaks to me and uses me for the advancement and the building up of the kingdom of God. And he has called me by name. And he has empowered me by his Holy Spirit. And as long as I continue to walk the path that he puts before me, I will find the peace and the contentment, and the joy. But it is all a matter of denying myself, taking up the cross that He assigns for me, and following Him. And the choice that I have, looking at my Peter example, is I can either name Him to be the Christ, the Son of the living God, 
Or I can be the Satan that tries to thwart his will and his purposes. There doesn't seem to be any in between. But if I do deny myself and take up the cross that is laid before me and follow him, I will be handed a stone one day that has God's special name for me. I know that I hear him, but I don't yet know that special pet name that my Heavenly Father has chosen for me. It says in, Re- in Revelation chapter 2, for the one that overcomes, they will receive the hidden manna. They will receive the white stone with the name. It will be a personal thing. It's not going to be a thing that you put on your, on your shirt or in your hang on a chain. It's a stone only between you and God. It says this, this name is just the name that God calls you. No one else is going to call you this name. I'll still be Bob up in heaven probably. But when God and I are talking, he'll call me by my pet name that he calls me. It's kind of like if you have a special name for your child. When their, their given name is Bob. But when you get together, it's honey or bud or whatever. And God has a special name for each and every one of you. But you need to get through and overcome to get it and to hear it. And the way you do that is you willingly deny yourself. Take up the cross that he's handing you and follow him. Let's pray. Lord God... I love you, and I praise you, and I give you glory. And Father, I <laughs> I wish that I could have walked the path that I wanted to walk. I really do. There's times I miss it. But at the same time, God, I wouldn't trade for anything what I have right now. The peace that I have knowing that I am in right relationship with you. The contentment that I experience being in the very center of your will. And the joy that I have in partnering with you in the advancing of your kingdom right here in little old Two Rivers and Pleasant Valley. Thank you, God. Give you praise, Lord. Amen.